unconscious bias. Do you know it when you see it? Maybe yes, or maybe no, according to David Rock. He's a neuroscientist who studies how and why bias affects our brains. We give huge priority to people who feel similar to us without even knowing it. There's all these things that happen completely unconsciously in our brain when we interact with someone similar to us versus different. We have no way of knowing it's happening, no way to intervene even. Hi, I'm Irene Silver with the Vanguard Network. Dr. David Rock is co-founder and CEO of the Neuro Leadership Institute. He sat down with Ken Banta, who's head of the Vanguard Network, to talk about bias and how your company can reduce bias decisions that end up hurting your bottom line. The two talked at a recent Vanguard dialogue, which was attended by several dozen C-suite leaders. Ken began the discussion with a quick poll, asking attendees if they felt they were addressing bias in their workplace, whether they know that they personally have biases, and whether anyone has been the victim of bias. About a quarter of us uh, generally well attuned and address it. A lot of people feel they have unconscious biases, but not sure how to handle them. And then uh, a, a sizable proportion here of people who have been affected themselves. In your sense of uh, norms, is this normative? Uh, a little bit unusual, what do you think? Yeah, no, this is, the, this is um, quite normative. This is the kind of experience that we see and, and what we have. We've been researching and uh, building solutions in this space for about six years now. Um, and we're now, now working with over a hundred organizations on how to actively mitigate bias. Um, and it's a, it's a really complicated area. Firstly, let me say that not all bias is bad. It's like, uh, it's, it's like, you know, fats, not all fats are bad. Actually, some are really, really important. Some not so good for you, but you can't just get rid of all fat in your diet, for example, you know, and with bias, actually, it's, it's another way of saying, especially the unconscious stuff. It's another way of saying, you know, approximation and generalization and assumption. And, uh, you know, we need assumptions, otherwise we can't do anything. Um, if you have to make every decision fresh, you're literally like a newborn. You've got no patterns to work on, right? So we make assumptions that we, you know, when we sit down that the chair will hold us, you know, like we can't test every chair and every table and every, every, everything constantly, right? So, so bias isn't necessarily a bad thing. What happens is it's, it, it, it comes in play in decisions that really matter like does it matter if you're biased about where you go to eat not really but does it matter if you're biased about who you hire yeah it turns out it does for a number of reasons um and so it's it's in the bigger decisions that have kind of a long tail so so one of the challenges is you, you can't actually make people overall less biased but you can make them selectively less biased in, in you know the things that matter but it takes a lot of work um and one of the the there's a number of quirks we found in the literature one is that people just don't have a sensation of being biased in the moment. Um, we just we just don't have it. We don't we we can't see ourselves being biased in the moment. Uh, some very very small situations we can kind of get a sense that we might not be being one hundred percent honest with ourselves. But that those are like the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah. And so unconscious bias is basically unconscious before, during, and after you know everything about it. That's the problem. Um, it's a bit like saying being conscious of the way your liver processes. Like you, no matter how hard you try, you can't be conscious of how your liver processes, right? Or how your, what your pancreas is doing right now without some help or some advice or some medical attention, you can't know. And it's really that definitive with bias, <clears throat> but it's, it throws us because 
there's this quirk where we can see other people being biased in real time. So we just assume that we're not being biased. So you can actually see other people being biased in real time, uh, but you can't see yourself being biased. And so everyone has this fairly well-formed and well kind of informed belief that they're just not as biased as everyone else because they see everyone being biased, right? Um, so everyone thinks that they're less biased than everyone else. So it's really quirky, right? But, but what this tells you is you can't design a strategy that involves people like trying to be less biased, right? If, if you're sort of relying on individual, you have a problem. So what you need is so something different. And there's the other, the other problem is the way you reduce bias. There's quite a lot of parallels to medicine. Um, you can't reduce a disease if you don't know if it's a bacteria or a virus. You actually need to know what it is. And with, with bias, there are really different biases driving a decision around hiring as opposed to driving a decision around, you know, letting go of a business unit. There, there are different biases involved um, and you can't reduce them the same way at all. Um, so anyway, we did a lot of work. We organized the biases. It took two and a half years. We organized the biases into five categories based on the way you actually mitigate them. Because oh. we figured if, if you knew kind of what you were working with, you could actually reduce bias and do something. And so, so our approach has been, uh, don't teach people to reduce their own bias. Um, put it in the water. So have everyone know the language and reduce bias in team conversations. Have people support each other to reduce bias because we can see it right as we go. Um, and, and, and what we find then is that teams that understand you know, bias and this bias language end up reducing bias anywhere from kind of one to 10 times a week on average. They end up like every single week doing something that reduces bias. And this is, this is great news. This means that we're actually able to get in and reduce systemic bias, right? Because what, you know, what we find is in a company of 10,000 people, there are probably half a million acts of bias every year of unconscious bias that, that kind of matter. Uh, they might not be big things, uh, but, they, but they're things that do matter. Hiring, assigning, rewarding, promoting, um, as well as all the business decisions, investing, divesting, all that. Um, so, so what you want to do is get into the system. Now, the final piece I'll say here, Ken, is that, um, you know, when people detect a bias, what they've got to do is not rely on just goodwill or intention. They've got to ideally put something at the level of the systems that they have. So put in place what we call a preventative measure. Like, for example, take out race, gender, age, and even people's names from the job application process. So you're just going on. Uh, you know, people's history or results or something like that. Actually, that's proven to have a really strong impact on bias, for example, because what happens is we tend to just hire the people with short names, <laughs> right? Who often happen to be Jim and Bob, <laughs> right? And white, you know, uh, you know, generally white male, uh, but it's actually just a bias about liking things simply, right? It's called an experience bias. Plus we hire people that are similar to us and all this stuff. Here's the cliff note, then I'll shut up, Ken. Uh, <laughs> is, bias is real. If you have a brain, you have bias. It's not always bad. Uh, you can do something about it, uh, but you need help and you need other people. I thought we might turn now to uh, hear from somebody who's on the, uh, on the, on the front lines, if you like, uh, herself, Heather Banks, uh, who's the chief human resources officer at the uh, telecoms company Chantel in Virginia. I've been with Chantel for just about a year now. So some of the things that I'm going to talk about are a bit retrospective from a life, so to speak, and have worked in some fairly large technology companies um, in addition here to Chantel. Uh, some of the things that we have done as uh, a, a leadership team to try to mitigate some of this 
just bias. As David said, we all have it, and it's hard to navigate around it if you don't have a common understanding. One area was we, we tried to make the resumes more blind. Uh, you, you just mentioned that, taking out the names or taking out the uh, things that would be demographically assigning any type to the candidate, um, particularly in leadership roles, because that was the area that we struggled with the most in trying to gain diversity. If you think kind of about the pyramid, a uh, common understanding a lot of leaders will say is, oh, well, my organizational unit is very diverse. But when you look at the data, it's really, it's maybe diverse on the bottom part of the pyramid and not necessarily at the top. So what can we do to, to try to drive some of that um, more diversity at, at the higher levels? And, and your point about the, the name syllables, the Bobs, the Jims, uh, those are the easier higher. I personally even struggle and have made um, some poor hiring decisions in my past just because of that affinity effect of hiring people who are maybe similar to me or who come from a similar background as me and trying to um, challenge my mental models about what that might look like. Another area that I have done um, some work in, although continue to need to do more, is really looking at the job descriptions and trying to take out the, the gender pronouns uh, trying to take out maybe some of more of the assertive language that appears to be more uh, male dominated, uh, things like uh, a dominance oriented things that are, you know, build or design versus things that are maybe softer like create and more adapting kind of language. We, we organize the biases into five categories. The first one you actually called it, it's called similarity bias. Um, and it's, it's essentially a bias that happens when we, when we you know, connect with people who, who are similar to us um, versus people who we think are different to us. And what happens is um, we give huge priority to people who feel similar to us without even knowing it. There's all these things that happen completely unconsciously uh, in our brain when we interact with someone similar to us versus different. We have no way of knowing it's happening, uh, no way to intervene even. It's like, uh, it's, it's completely different in the brain. And um, it's, it, the, the challenge is that we actually feel better working with people who are similar to, to us. Uh, and we feel more anxious working with people who are different to us. And working with people who are different to us actually improves the thinking overall. Uh, and it turns out the difficulty is part of that. Diverse teams feel less comfortable. That's why they perform better. Um, that's like the, the, the heading, something like that. So you actually need the discomfort of working with people who challenge you and make you think differently and all this, which literally feels uncomfortable. You actually need that to get the best out of teams. It's really quirky. But if basically you say to managers, hey, you know, interview everyone and hire the person who feels right, they're gonna keep hiring the person similar to them because that feels right. It's an interesting Yeah, challenge. and just one other element on what you're talking about is this whole concept of good cultural fit to what you're talking about. They feel like they're, they'd be a really great cultural fit into our company. And unfortunately, that continues to levels of homogeneity because they're, they're comforting people who give you some level of familiarity to your language. And uh, the piece about driving innovation is really critical to have all of those mindsets. We can't change our bias. All we can do is continue to challenge ourselves and challenge each other. Each other. And I think that's where the real value is. And, and we think one of the most important and most bold acts is to really commit to changing the way your systems operate internally so that you're, you're taking bias out at the source of the problem. You're creating more inclusive environments, you know, everywhere. Um, 
and that you're, you're creating much more fair structures. And it turns out more fair structures uh, are actually best, better for everyone, not just people at the bottom or top, like everyone. Everyone actually benefits. That was David Rock, co-founder and CEO of the Neuro Leadership Institute at a Vanguard Dialogue, talking with Ken Banta. We also heard from Heather Banks, who is Chief Human Resources Officer at the telecom company Shentel. Podcasts like this are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.